mission agency that Dale and Annabelle are serving with, Titus International. And, of course, um, well, that's one contact recently that we ha I had with Becky, but the other was <laughs> they were wheeling me down the, the hallway at Memorial. When was that? Sometime back. And here she comes, and I go, hey, Becky. <laughs> As I was being wheeled in the cart down the hallway, there goes Becky. And we reestablished contact, and, of course, I knew she was going with Titus because of my relationship with several of the guys over there. So we're glad to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. You got it. Okay. All right. Good morning. I'm normally pretty loud, so I don't know if I really need this thing, but it'll help probably. Um, as he said, my name is Becky Welch. Um, I was born and raised here in Chattanooga. Um, and I come from a family. I have two brothers. I have an older brother, and I have a younger brother. So that makes me the middle child. Um, so I definitely tested my parents in the middle child syndrome, as we call it. Um, but I, uh, I, I grew up uh, going to Grace Baptist Church. Um, but as I got older, into my teen years, um, when I was six years old, I had said a prayer uh, because I didn't want to go to hell. Um, and I say I got wet um, because to me at that point in time in my life, um, I didn't fully understand um, that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. Um, and so as I got older, um, I was at church at Grace. My parents had us in there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night service. Um, but as I got into my teen years, um, at the age of 16, I was introduced to alcohol. Um, by the age of 19, I was a teenage alcoholic. Um, I was getting drunk several times during the week, um, and my parents, they just felt that the only thing that they could do for me was pray. And every night, they got on their knees praying for me. Um, and God answered their prayer, and I am very thankful for that. Um, so when I was 19 in 2003, I, um, God just opened my eyes to my sin. He opened my eyes where I was headed, and I looked at him and I just was like, I don't want to leave this world like this. I want to leave with him saying, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Um, from that day on, um, I quit drinking um, and I've just never been the same since, which is what Jesus does to us uh, when we have him in our heart. So um, I gave my life to Christ. I started going to church um, at Silverdale Baptist back in 2004. Um, and in 2005, I went on my first missions trip overseas to Africa. Um, and ever since then, I just was like, I love um, going overseas and sharing the gospel, um, and God just was continuing to work in my heart and change me in so many different ways um, with going on these missions trips. So in 2007, um, I sing in the choir um, at my church, and in 2007, we had been practicing for quite some time um, a song to get ready to sing for our church's missions conference. And uh, we were, it was the week before the conference started, and, uh, and this lady was just singing, you know, and I guess I was just finally really getting into the words of this song. And she was singing, who will go for us? Who will go to the corners of the earth and tell them that Jesus Christ is King? And at that moment, um, all I heard was a whisper in my ear saying, you will go. Um, and to me, it was so audible that I literally looked beside me to see who was joking around with me because I'm like, I ain't doing that. There's like, no, there's no way. 
And I looked and nobody was standing there. And so I was like, I know that that was the Lord. Um, And so I just sat down because I couldn't sing the song anymore because I always said I can't, I couldn't do long-term missions. I'll go on my summer missions trips and that'll be good enough for me. Um, But luckily it only took a week and a half of wrestling with God, um, trying to make up every excuse I could as to why I shouldn't go. I didn't finish college. I don't have enough education. I can't go. Um, You give me a husband, maybe I'll think about going overseas to missions. Uh, And so many other, uh, I can't leave my family. I can't leave my friends. I can't leave the comfort of my own home to go to a foreign country that I don't know anything about. And, uh, And God just changed my heart. And I think as we continue to surrender our hearts to him, he's all into changing our hearts. And so I'm thankful that God changed my heart um, and I committed my life to missions at that point. But it wasn't until 2012, a few years later, uh, that I actually started being obedient to that call. Um, and so finally in 2012, I had found a, a mission board agency to go with and I was like, I'm going to go for two years and that'll be good. That'll be enough. Um, and so I, uh, through this mission board, they led me to a place called Liberia, West Africa. I had no idea about this country. I didn't know anything about it. I'd never heard of it before. Um, and so I started to do my research um, about Liberia. And so where I'm heading back to, because I was already there for 10 months, um, like I said, this was a two-year commitment. And I said, I'm going to Liberia for two years. That's it. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not coming back to the States. Now, I think God might chuckle at us if we just tell him what our plans are going to be and happen. Um, But I went to Liberia expecting to be there for two years. And after 10 months, I was abruptly evacuated in three days because of the Ebola. Um, And I came back to the States, and I was like, what's next? I have no idea what's next in my life. God did open the door and sent me to Ghana, West Africa, which is a couple countries over from Liberia. And then I also had the opportunity to go to Togo and work in a hospital for a month. Um, So God made that two-year journey a whole lot more adventurous than what I thought it would be. Um, And I learned to trust him in so many more ways. But through all that, um, I was in Liberia. It was probably about six months. Um, I played football or soccer with the little boys uh, in the area once a week. And I was playing football with them this day, and, well, I'm standing in the shade because it's really hot, um, so I'm just watching them play. And um, I just remember having so much peace um, that I literally felt like I was at home. And I felt like at that point that this was a place that God could call me to for full-time ministry. Um, And so I think God began to really work in my heart then Um, But through the Ebola, through the evacuation, I really felt that um, God wasn't done with me yet. He he had plans that I didn't know were his plans. Um, And so through that, I feel like he has called me back to Liberia for full-time women's ministry. And you can kind of see on this, uh, it's the picture up here, you can see the star where Monrovia is. Um, That's the capital, that's where you fly into But I'm going to be living what we call the bush. Um, It's about four hours inland uh, from Monrovia. So it's right above where uh, Liberia is at. It's right above that. 
Um, it's, it's kind of bordering, uh, I believe that's Guinea up there. And so I'm going to be living in Banga, Liberia, West Africa. Um, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of um, uh, history, I guess you could say. I ain't no good with my words sometimes. Um, there's about 4 million people in Liberia, and they're about 1% Christianity. Um, they have, over the years, Liberia was actually founded from um, the uh, freed slaves from America who went over and founded Liberia, and their first several presidents were actually um, people from America that went and helped run their country until they got it going. Um, and they, have, um, they had a war from 1989 till 2004, and it killed over 200,000 people in their country. It devastated their country. Uh, this man named Charles Taylor just wanted to run and rule over this country, um, and that's exactly what he did. And it left many people um, just devastated, displaced, orphaned, and broken. Um, and through that, um, they said that, that there was a second war that they just fought, but the enemy was unseen, and that was the Ebola. It killed over thousands of people in Liberia. Um, partly some of that was because of the hygiene. They didn't have much hygiene um, of washing their hands and taking precautionary measures and stuff like that. Um, so it, it spread very quickly, very rapidly. Um, but they, they had this war. It devastated their country. But their belief, their religion is more of an animism and a witchcraft. So a couple of stories that I have to tell you with this is one of them is that I was um, in a village one day handing out some vitamins and deworming pills to kids um, for their, just to help them out health-wise. And so we were coming back and they stopped and there was this huge lake. Now in Liberia, people eat a meal once a day. That's all that they can afford. Um, and so they eat a meal once a day. It's normally in the middle of the day between 2 and 3 o'clock. And then their meat that they can afford is fish. If they're really lucky and can get the delicacy, it's chicken feet. I don't know if any of y'all have ever eaten chicken feet before, but um, I still could not bring myself to chewing on one of them. <laughs> um, so we're here. We're passing this pond. They fish for food. Um, they dry it. They sell it in the market. Um, that's how some of them make their income. And so here's this huge little pond, lake area, and there are these huge catfish. I don't know if y'all in here like are big fishers or anything. I'm not because I never catch anything. So, But these are huge fish in this pond. And I was like, why is nobody here trying to catch these fish? And a man walked up and we asked him. And he said that the reason why is because back a long time ago, uh, a couple of men came, and they fished in this pond. They caught the catfish, they took them home, they cooked them up, they ate them, and the next day they died. And so they said that they were cursed because they had eaten their ancestors. Um, that was their mindset, was that because they, their ancestors apparently were in the fish, and so because they ate the fish, they were cursed and they died. That's their reality in their mind is that, that people curse them, uh, they can cause problems. Any kind of sickness or illness that people get, it's a curse. Something happened where the protection wasn't over them or whatever. Um, ladies, you will often find that as soon as they have a baby, they wrap a little uh, beaded 
bracelet. Obviously, it's not a bracelet. I don't know bracelet. I don't know what you call them. <laughs> like a belt <laughs> around their waist of beads, and it literally is to protect that child from being cursed. Um, and then oftentimes, you will find that the older women are still wearing those as they get older because they're still wanting to protect themselves from being cursed. Um, and that's their, that's their mindset. But the good thing is, is that these people, these women, um, and I know the men too, um, they are so open and they are so hungry for something of the truth. Um, they want God's word. They want to hear about the Bible. They want to hear the stories. They want to learn. Um, and so that's a huge blessing for me is that I have the freedom to, to go. A lot of places that people go to for missions, you can't just talk about. I have a friend in France right now as a missionary, and, uh, and she can't just go out and talk about God to the people because it will literally make them shun her um, and not want to talk to her. And so I realize that I am very blessed to be able to go to a country that I can freely share the truth of God's word. Um, so what I'm going to be doing is a women's ministry and teen girls ministry. Um, my heart in this is I've already built uh, relationships uh, with some friends over there. Um, there are a few women who are actual true believers. And by that, I mean that they have the evidence of fruit from accepting Christ as their Savior. Um, they, their actions have changed. Their, uh, their thoughts have changed. Um, and so my heart is to help these women get deeper in the Word, um, to help them understand God's Word in a better way so that they can continue to grow in their walk with God and that they themselves would learn how to disciple younger women. Teen girls in, a, in Liberia, to prove that they're a woman, they have to bear a child. Um, and so a man will not want them until they have born a child. And so here you have 15, 16-year-olds having um, babies, and, um, and then they have a responsibility. They have a child to take care of, a child to, to, to you know, take care of. That's what I just said. Uh, <laughs> see, I'm great. <laughs> um, but they have this pressure on them. They are the ones, the women are the ones that have to cook the food. They have to buy the food. They have to go to the market and sell the food. Or if they have a farm or pineapples or cucumbers or if they make stuff and sell it in the market, they are the ones that have to provide for their families. Um, and the men, um, which often questions that I get are, well, what do the men do? Well, honestly, the men, they don't do much there. Um, oftentimes, if they can afford a motorbike, then they will use a motorbike as a form of uh, taxi transportation, and so that's how they make their money. But in Liberia, a married couple don't see it as you're, in, you're, uh, you're together, so your money is together. It's not just his money and her money, it's together. At least that's what I think it is, right? Um, but over there, it's the woman makes the money, that is her money. She has to use that to provide for her family, for school fees, for the food, for anything that her children need. And if the man makes his money, it's his money. He can use it on himself in whatever way he wants. Um, and so the men, uh, they, they obviously, they need Jesus too. Um, and I'm praying that God will send people uh, to join the team, um, my team there, to serve with and to reach also the men in the community. 
Um, But these women hold such a heavy pressure. So my heart is to disciple the women who are true believers in the word so that they can grow in their walk with God, but also to disciple and teach the women in the community who are not believers so that they can have a true understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. Um, Through that, I use, uh, there's two books. I have a little table outside. It's got some prayer cards on it, some candy, and, um, and the books. You'll see it's a story of hope, and it just starts with small little stories, but they all point to Jesus, and it starts in the very beginning, which is in the beginning, God. Um, And so I'm able to be able to go through those stories with these ladies to help them connect the pieces and put them together. But the challenges with ministry in Liberia is because of the war, most of the people my age and older do not know how to read or write. So I can't just go in with a bunch of Bibles and papers and say, let's read this together because they don't know how to read. Um, and, and yes, I could teach them English, but I don't know if you've noticed, if there's any teachers in here, I ain't no good at it. So, <laughs> so if I have to do that, I will do that, but uh, it's, it'll be difficult. Um, but that's why I need more people on my team, so I need some teachers to come and help me out. Um, but these, these women, um, my heart for them is to truly understand God's word. And so trying to, uh, to teach them in a way that they can understand, um, they speak a Liberian English, which is kind of like a whole different language. Um, it took me about five and a half months to finally try to speak this Liberian English. Um, and pretty much what they do is they cut all the ends of their words off, and then they just kind of throw it all together and talk really fast. So they'll say like, that you humbuggy me? They always point the finger, too. That's why I do it still. <laughs> it's, like, intimidating. <laughs> but they'll say, that you humbugging me? And that's they're asking, are you, are you humbugging them? Are you giving them a problem? Um, they don't throw things. They chunk things. So when I tell the story about Lucifer being thrown out of heaven, Lucifer was chunked out of heaven. Um, and spoil over there, actually, we think of, when we say spoil, what do you think of? What? Yeah, rot, spoil, food, right? But over there, if you spoil something, you've broken it. So they'll spoil their slipper, which is a flip-flop. There was a church that I went to for a missions conference, and they asked me to write down some needs that that the the people might have there. And I think I wasn't really thinking, so I had actually typed out slippers uh, in the email, and I was meaning flip-flops. But I got a bunch of slippers to take to the kids, like real American slippers, um, but they just twist, there are different words that they use to, uh, to explain things. And so learning how to do that, and then they also speak um, a language, a tribal language called Pele. Um, this is probably the hardest language I have ever had to learn in my life. Um, I love learning languages, um, but after about six weeks of trying to learn the Pele language, I was pretty much like, I am done. I don't want to learn anymore. I don't want to talk it anymore. I just, I can't do it. I'm done. And uh, again, God moved in my heart and spoke scripture uh, one morning during my quiet time. He sent me to uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, and it talks about that I did not send you to a foreign people of a hard language that they would not understand you. Surely if I sent you to them, they will understand you. And so I literally just read that scripture, and I was just like, okay, 
I just felt like the Lord was telling me, you keep trying to speak the language, and they will understand you, and you will understand them. So I finished my language after six months, and I would be out in the community, and I would hear somebody ask me a question in the Pele language, and I could answer them. Or I would be in the clinic working, and I would speak the Pele language, and then like I'm like, it's quiet. And then I'm like, did I say something the wrong way? And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, you know, because they get like really excited because they just understood you in their own language. And God was faithful um, in keeping that promise that I feel like he gave to me for that. Um, the scripture that the Lord um, gave me uh, for this whole being called to missions and stuff, which I know you all have heard it before probably many times, um, which is Isaiah 6, 8. And I'm just going to read it real quick. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Now I had this question. I was like, I really want to know what does this verse mean on a deeper level? Like, what does it really mean? And then shortly after I was asking this question to myself, we actually had a guest uh, speaker come to our church, and um, he was sharing on this scripture. And the way that he explained it was, um, you know, how many times have we played hide-and-seek with a young toddler? You play hide-and-seek they pretty much don't have to hide behind anything because sometimes they'll just stand in the room and pretend you don't see them, right? Because they, they're just invisible all of a sudden. But when you make eye contact with them, they're like, here I am. And so he was saying it's not like just jumping out being like, woohoo, here I am. But he was saying that Isaiah's heart in this, in this scripture is literally a heart of surrender saying, here I am. This is a heart of surrender. I am giving you my life. I'm giving you my hopes, my dreams, my wants, and I'm going to surrender those to the Lord and trust God for his plans and for what he has planned for my life. And so that was exactly the way I felt like God had put in my heart, was that sure, every girl has a dream of getting married or having kids or, or doing this or doing that, but God was able to help me to surrender to all the things of my plans and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. And trusting the Lord for his plan for my life. Um, and so God has just continued to give me that heart of surrender. And he's continued to remind me to have that heart of surrender. Because sometimes when he's telling us to let go of something, how many times do we want to keep holding a tighter grip? Um, and so God continues to help me remember, no, keep this to him. So I say, well... Now I'm going back as a career missionary to Liberia, but I say, Lord willing, I will be there however long God wants me there. Because the last time I set my time of how long I would be there, and, and God had, he had other plans, or he didn't have different plans, but I just didn't know those were the same ones. But, um, but he has plans, and so I need to continue to be surrendered to his plans. So my heart is that I would go for two years at a time um, and then come back to the States for about six months for a furlough, um, just a time to, uh, to see people, to see family and friends, to give updates on what God is doing in the ministry, um, and then just to get rejuvenated and refed. Because um, over there, what I've learned is that the only way you can keep going is by being in the Word of God. Um, and by spending that time with the Lord. And that's 
very true here in the States, is that the only way we can keep going sometimes, and really only should be, is by spending that time with the Lord and His Word. Um, I have a scripture um, Mr. Robinson wanted me to, to share, and so um, I, this is a scripture that I've shared in a, in a lot of different places. Um, so I just want to read it to you. It's in Matthew um, chapter 9. And it's verses 36 through 38. Um, And I know you guys have heard this before. It's the harvest, the, the title over it is, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So it says in verse 36, When he saw the crowds, it's talking about Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is seeing this crowd of people. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I wanted to know, um, what, is, what does this mean? Uh, so I took a two-year class at Woodland Park Baptist Church. It's called the Salt Institute. And they teach you how to study the Bible inductively, to find the Greek and the Hebrew words um, so that you're understanding exactly where this verse is or what this, uh, you were talking about the indicative and stuff in Sunday school. And I was like, yeah, we talked about that stuff in my class. Um, Finding out, you know, is this active or what? Well, I don't have my notes with me because I really wasn't prepared. But what I'm going to try to remember is when he says... um, that he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. This compassion that Jesus had on them was literally a broken heart, just a heavy heart. And I picture somebody like seeing something and being moved so much to the point of, um, for instance, the, the labors. Um, my mom has been a very good friend of, of the mom, and, uh, and she's been over at her house talking with her. And my mom has been moved with compassion for her in a way that has brought her to tears um, and feeling that the pain that she has felt from losing her son recently. And so Jesus is moved with this compassion, this heaviness on his heart for these people. And then he talks about um, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. Now we know ultimately that God is the great shepherd, but God has also... Um, helped us to, to, we are the sheep, but we also are given a group of people, or maybe it's one other person that we are to care for, that we're supposed to help point them to Jesus, encourage them in the Lord. I kind of look at it as like a mentorship. Um, and so that's what he's talking about here with the shepherd. But then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. And when I was studying the word harvest, I was actually quite surprised myself with what it actually meant. And the Greek word, which I don't remember, um, but the meaning of it was that this harvest was this, these people who were fully ripe for punishment. They are fully ripe to, to go to hell. They are fully ripe with sin because they have not yet met and uh, accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. And so this harvest is plentiful. I'm sure we all know people around us who are lost, who are fully ripe for punishment, who don't know Jesus Christ or haven't accepted him as their Lord and personal Savior. 
And so he's talking about this harvest and that it's, it's plentiful. There are so many people, there are so many lost people who are ready for this punishment. But then he talks about the laborers are few. Well, we are the laborers. We are the ones who are to care for these people, to help these people, to, to show God's love to these people, to speak God's truth to these people. Um, and this, that's what I'm going to be doing in Liberia, in women's ministry, is to, to teach these women the truth of God's word, to show them what God has done for them, how much God loves them. And my heart is that they themselves would become leaders and that they would begin to disciple their own people, their own ladies in their community. Because I understand that God may not keep me very long in Liberia. I have no idea what his plans are. But if he takes me out of Liberia, I don't want that ministry to stop. First of all, it's a ministry that God started, but I I pray, and you guys can pray with me too, that God would raise up these leaders that these women can go and they can make disciples. Um, And then their disciples can make disciples. And then just like that ripple effect, that God would continue to work in their hearts and their lives and change their community. Because I truly believe that through the power of God's word and through who he is, um, that he's not only going to change these women's lives, but he's going to change their children's lives. He's going to change their marriages. And eventually it's going to change their whole community. And if God chooses to let me be a part of actually seeing that fruit, then all I can say is I'm one blessed woman. Um, But I know that my heart is to be obedient to this call that God has called me to. Um, And I want to faithfully serve him in Liberia, to faithfully teach God's word uh, to the best of my knowledge and understanding, and, uh, and to be able to teach these women and then trust the results to God. Because I know that I can't make results. I can't make people make decisions and change lives, but God does. He's the one that does that. And so that if I'm faithful in teaching his word, I have to trust it. He's going to be faithful in planting those seeds and bringing it to um, a fully ripe uh, harvest um, where they can have a good harvest. Not people who are lost, but people who are saved and who are ready um, to enter into heaven. Um, And then it talks about the last verse there. It says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Oftentimes we say, yeah, missionaries are special people. They're, they're people who can go overseas and do this kind of work, and they're great. But the reality is, is we are all missionaries, and we all should be missionaries. Um, we work with people who aren't saved. You may have family members who aren't saved. You have neighbors in a community. How oftentimes in America do we just keep to ourselves? When I came back from Liberia, um, it was really hard because I lived in Liberia for 10 months. And in Liberia, it is very rude if you walk by somebody and don't greet them. So over there, you know, I, don't, I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't have, you know, technology. Just it was an old little Nokia back, you know, from like the 1990s kind of phone. Um, but I would walk around in the evening times. I call it my bushwalk. And I go around and anybody that I walk by, I have to shake hands. I have to greet them. Um, and then, uh, when I came back to America, I went to Walmart for the first time and, uh, I hate going to Walmart because it's just too much stuff there because in Liberia, you don't have many choices of anything. Um, but I walked into Walmart and I'm walking by people and I'm like, Hey, no, you're not. No. Okay. 
just look at my phone now. But how many times do we do that? I have still been guilty of doing that, where all I, I want to do is just mind, my, mind to myself, you know, focus on myself, get what I need to get, and get out. But how many times, I wonder, do I actually miss an opportunity to share God's love with somebody that may in, be in the same aisle as me, looking at cereal or chocolate or whatever? Um, and so this scripture, I share it to encourage each one of you um, to keep that focus of that we have been given a task to be a laborer in the harvest um, and that we would continue to share God's love and to speak his truth to the people that he places around us. Um, one of the things there was that these women, I had one lady come to me like, Sis Becky, when are we going to start a Bible study? I was like, oh, it's, it's coming soon. Uh, and then I was evacuated, so obviously I didn't get to start that Bible study. But there is a church there. It's called Liberty Baptist Church. It's the church that I hope to join and be a part of uh, while I'm there in Liberia. And uh, I'm hoping to start uh, a women's small group at that church. And then from there, I'm hoping to start the two different Bible study groups with believers and non-believers. Um, and so you guys can just, uh, some prayer requests, is just be praying for these women and these teen girls, that God would just begin now to prepare their hearts for the ministry that he's going to do. Um, and that he would also uh, prepare my heart um, for going. Lord willing, um, I've hopefully we'll get an email tomorrow with plane tickets in it um, for July 22nd. So it's next month. It's like six weeks from now. <laughs> so hopefully, Lord willing, I will be getting on a plane in six weeks and I will be heading to Liberia um, to serve the Lord. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but you need so much wisdom over there because sometimes the, the, the people, they'll come to your door and they will tell you a straight up lie, but you would have no idea that they're lying because they're just that good at it. Um, and so it's using a lot of, of wisdom, asking questions, you know, by figuring out, like, okay, well, if I ask this many questions, then I can figure out if they're telling the truth or not. And then the other, the other thing is, there was one day that I remember that so many people were coming to this other missionary. I was in her house um, help, helping her with the kids or whatever. And, uh, and so many people, she probably had about 30 people during the day come to her house to ask her for rice, to ask her for milk, to feed a baby. This one guy brought his son uh, his Solomon. You'll actually see a picture of it in the video that I'm going to show. Um, and the mom died, and he has no way to feed the baby. And so he was asking, you know, how am I going to keep this baby alive? And so she was able to get some milk powder out and show him how to use this milk powder and how to feed the baby. Um, there's people that come that say, oh, I don't have a school fee. I don't have the money to, feed, to send my children to school. Uh, can you help me with that? Or my child's sick, I need to take him to the clinic, but I don't have money for that. Um, and so the need of the people is so heavy um, that I realized one day that there is no way that I can help every single person that comes to my door. Um, it's, it's hard because it's like sometimes, I don't know if you guys have ever hurt, but sometimes helping hurt it, but sometimes helping hurts. So sometimes you can actually help somebody so much that it's actually hurting them. And I do not want to do that in Liberia. I don't want to just freely hand out things and send people places or whatever 
to make it to where they're becoming a de- dependent on me, but I want to help them in a way that they can sustain for their own family. Um, and the other thing is, is um, just helping them in the community, just knowing that I couldn't help them was so overwhelming to me. I literally was just like, I don't, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know how I can help. But then the Lord just spoke to me and reminded me that I can do something. And the one thing that I can do that I can give freely to everybody is the truth of God's word um, so that they can have a hope for an eternal glory um, and that they can have trust in God who can provide for their needs and who can take care of them. Yes, there's African sickness. Yes, there's diseases. Yes, people die every single day. People lose their children, their families, their mothers, their fathers. Um, Death is a very huge reality to them in Liberia. But if they have the true hope of Jesus Christ and the hope of eternity, um, then they're going to they're gonna have the joy that they need. Um, and so that is something that I can do, is teach them the, the truth of God's word. Um, that's pretty much all that I had. I could probably keep going forever and ever, but... We can tell. <laughs> um, I did have a video that um, she's going to play for me. There's the song in the background. You're going to see pictures of all um, the pictures of my time in Liberia during that 10 months, uh, doing different things. My friend Susanna, you'll see she's getting baptized. Um, But listen to the words of this song. It's a group called Selah. Some of you guys might have heard of them before. But the words and the lyrics to this song, I think, are very powerful, and I believe that they apply to our lives, too. So just take a look at that. Um, can you, can you hear the songs? Can you hear the words of the songs? No, some of you can. Um, these are pictures from the ladies in the area. Pretty much the words of the song, you guys can look it up on, on YouTube later or something, but it's talking about that, um, we must not keep the gospel from anyone, um, and that was me teaching a Sunday school teacher seminar uh, in Bonga at the training center that they had there. That was at a church in Bela um, that I got to, to go to and work at. This is a group of uh, young ladies that I got to, to serve. That's Fatu on the right and her sister Hannah on the left. Um, Fatu actually passed away last February. Uh, she was 24 years old. Um, and she actually came to me at one point and she said, um, Sis Becky, am I gonna am I gonna lose my salvation? And that was pretty much because her aunt was rubbing country medicine on her, and uh, she was afraid that she would lose her salvation because of that. And I shared with her the scripture that God's word says that 
if we are truly uh, children of God and we have accepted Jesus Christ in our heart, that he says that no one will pluck you out of my hand. Um, and she was like, okay, okay, says Becky. Um, and so I did Bible study with her uh, once a week, and I would walk to her house. So it was a huge, huge blessing to seeing people understand the word of God. That was a little girl that I worked with. Her name was Lydia. Um, she had fell of a cerebral malaria, uh, and so she wasn't able to walk or stand or anything like that. But it was pretty cool to see what God did, did in her little body. These pictures were just from an orphanage that I went to. It's called Zorzor. It was about a 20-minute helicopter ride all the way back uh, from Bonga to, to this area. My parents actually got to come over with a few other people from our church for a missions trip. So this was us doing a vacation Bible school in their communities in Bela and in Bonga. And that's the little boy Solomon I was telling you about. The, the mom died and he wasn't sure how to keep taking care of him. It's just more people around the community. That's my friend Garmin. Uh, she's in her mid-twenties, and she's one that I uh, did uh, Bible study with once a week. A few more of my friends there. These, some of these ladies, those three ladies there are actually, they're true believers. Um, so they're some of the ones I'm hoping to disciple with the word of God. That's little Angelina. I called her my little daughter while I was there. (laughs) You can actually see that on YouTube as well. Um, I have it up there. So it's called Liberia, West Africa. All right. Very good. Appreciate that, Um, So what do you think? She sounded like a missionary to you? I've heard, in 37 years, I heard an awful lot of missionary presentations, and I mean, that brought back a lot of memories just because, I mean, it, it's written all over her heart, and you can, you can tell that. And so, you know, 